Hi, I'm Homer Hargrove and I'm the pastor of Grave Top Church. I hope that today's message inspires you and that connecting with our church family today truly makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. This whole month we're going to be unpacking authentic spirituality and as well as unpacking biblical truths to it, we're going to also be debunking certain myths um, and ideas about spirituality, um, more so super superstitions and super spirituality. Um, and today specifically, we're going to be covering uh, uh, the idea of the un, uh, seeing the unseen world, seeing the unseen world. And we're going to be really unpacking about how the spiritual world interacts within our physical world. And I, I feel like uh, uh, one Stranger Things does a really great way at uh, kind of like, like showing, displaying this idea of this unseen world, this upside down. But I feel like another way that we could interpret uh, an unseen world affecting our physical world is simply looking at the digital world. The digital world today is, is, uh, is something that we can't tangibly see, but it is happening, happening beneath the surface. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And in the same way, that, that is similar to how the spiritual world uh, uh, behaves, except the spiritual world is uniquely bent on battles of good and evil. And I really think that the Bible describes, uh, uh, similarly to the show, that the spiritual world has effects on our physical world. And the Bible even describes like these, these ideas of angelic beings who affect seemingly natural occurrences. The Bible talks about angelic beings affecting even seemingly natural occurrences, like stirring up or drying out bodies of waters, um, uh, moments where angelic beings are causing uh, certain diseases. And even within this passage that we're going to start with, we're going to see this entire spiritual battle going on uh, simply to prevent the physical liberation of the people of Israel. We're going to look at it's showing the spiritual battle going on. And today we're going to use the Bible and see multiple kinds of spiritual interactions and the kind of effects that, ha that have or attempted effects and, and how the spiritual world tries to affect certain people in the trajectory of their lives. And I want us to, I want us to start by, by, uh, having this baseline and knowing that we're going to be talking about a lot of spiritual stuff today, but I want to be clear in saying that I have a belief of, of always uh, assuming first the natural before saying everything is spiritual. Um, I, I think that in our, especially in Christian world, uh, we can get really superstitious to where we start creating, um, creating false credit or false glory for the devil to take. It's like uh, you can get a certain people just get like a bad haircut and like the devil's attacking me. And it's like uh, <laughs> that. Yeah, that it's it's just it, it's sometimes like not that serious. And while we, while there are. Uh, and so I want us to just be clear in understanding that while there's a lot of spiritual play, there's also a lot of things that are natural and uh, just simply simply natural. The Bible describes um the Bible describes moments where people had physical ailments and diseases that were that Jesus goes and heals, and moments where it was a, a physical ailment or a disease in which Jesus simply healed the person. It was something that they were like that at birth. And then there's other moments where this person was literally possessed by this like oppressive spirit. 
And so we see this combination of both natural occurrences and spiritual occurrences. Not all is natural, not all is spiritual. But we see this play going on of that there's this kind of exchange. Even, even think about the moment where there were people like Judas who were, who were somewhat almost like incited by the devil. It says that the devil incited him, entered him to betray Jesus. While there were, uh, while there was also moments where people were fortune telling, uh, like in the book of Acts, there's a girl that was fortune telling and she was, uh, she was openly and intentionally distracting from the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel by heckling, uh, by heckling. And it was a spirit that was causing her to do these things. And, and there's also people who simply rejected the gospel message without any kind of spiritual connotation. It was just their own presumptive heart. So again, we're, we're going to look at, uh, as we're looking at these, this spiritual interaction, I want us to clearly understand that I am not projecting everything is spiritual, but I am projecting that some things definitely are. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So with that being said, I want us to start off with spiritual attacks. Spiritual attacks. And I want us to learn that the unseen world has effects on the seen world, that it manifests itself. And I want to look at uh, this interaction with, uh, in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, starting in verse 12 through 14. It says, Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding, uh, understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come to, to res- in response to your words... But the prince of the kingdoms of Persia was standing in my way for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to you, to your people in the latter days, because of the vision pertains to the days still in the future. So we see this, this, oh guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just got into the scripture. But what we're seeing in this, in this, uh, this passage is it says that Daniel was praying for 21 days. That he's praying and fasting for 21 days, trying to understand this vision. And this uh, this angelic being comes to him and says, "From the minute that you started praying, God heard you and sent me to come tell you something. But I was I was hindered from from revealing myself to you, from getting to you, because of this demonic force that was uh, that was hindering me, that I was battling be- before getting here. And so it gives this like really interesting thing to where I don't even know what that looks like. I imagine it would be something similar to Dragon Ball Z, but it's like this this crazy interaction, this fight. I don't know what that would look like between like angels and demons fighting, but it it has this like this imagery that shows. That there's a spiritual battle going on, and that was just to inform Daniel of this prophecy of of, the, of this this fulfillment of vision about the liberation of Israel. And so, we're if we can pull from this and understand that this is what the Bible is alluding to, this mysterious thing happening behind the scenes, it shows us that we need to recognize that there is a fight going on. We need to recognize that there is a fight going on. And I don't like to uh, pretend like I know everything, exactly how these mysterious spiritual things operate. I don't like hearing messages where it gives us this presumption that, 
Like, oh, this is exactly how the spiritual world works. And this is exactly how angels and demons fight. I don't feel like the Bible really gives the kind of context to know exactly what's going on. It's only shadows. We only know shadows of, of what's actually going on. We only have these mysteries, this mysterious concept of things happening. But I want us to expand on these, this biblical, the, what is biblical uh, when the Bible gives these glimpses so that we can better understand these kinds of uh, interactions because when, when something manifests, when something is happening spiritually and it manifests in the real world, it, it can be both seemingly unnoticeable and clearly noticeable at the same time. These kinds of attacks can greatly affect not just our day, but even the, the direction for our souls and our futures. And I, I don't think that we need to get, like I said before, I don't think we need to get lost in the weeds and trying to assume everything is a spiritual attack or trying to get to the bottom of everything, everything that we feel like is, is spiritually hindering us or stopping us in our lives. But I, think, I do think that it's incredibly valuable to know when you are being spiritually or attacked or not. Because the most dangerous fight to be in is the one that you don't realize that you're in in the first place. The most dangerous fight to be in is the one that you don't realize you're in. And so uh, the Bible tells us to always put on the armor of God. It says to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, uh, strengthen your arms to hold up the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit. And so it gives us this kind of like armament of, of uh, living in this world. And one of the most valuable things um, is, is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. And, and of course, all the, the armaments are, of course, important. But I want us to think about what the shield of faith really implies. It says, hold up the shield of faith to quench the fiery arrows of the enemy. And for the longest time, I didn't really necessarily know what that meant. But see, what's unique about faith, it being a shield, is if you were to imagine like a, a, a movie in which people are sword fighting using shields and swords, uh, whenever a, a soldier would hold up a shield... It would block their vision. Y'all see what I'm saying? It, when, it would protect them, but they had complete faith that the shield was guarding them, that it was protecting them from whether it was an arrow, from a sword, whatever. And in the same way, when we hold up faith, faith is believing without seeing, correct? And so it's in the moments that we, we don't understand that what's going on, in the moments where it seems mysterious, but we don't fully know that we can lift up faith and know that we can be covered in the blood of Jesus, knowing that we, can, that we are protected in Christ. And I, what I've found is um, the, the moments that we see the devil inciting uh, uh, these battles in our lives, the Bible gives these displays of it being uh, as something uh, as simple as inciting division against you. I think that's what we most commonly see. But it, it even gives all kinds of other... Uh, like oppressive, uh, oppressive ideas, like even within our health. But what I want to focus on that idea of division. Let's look at the story of Judas and how, how the devil, it says that the devil entered in Judas and cited this division, this, this betrayal against Jesus. And what the devil commonly does is he manipulates our ego to fight against one another. A lot of times, have you noticed when something meaningful is about to happen that you get into a fight with someone close to you? I remember when I first got married with Lauren, 
it was it was so weird that every uh, it seemed almost like clockwork whenever it was a time for me to preach or minister that something would happen to where we would have this like conflict with each other and it was this this it, it would be this like major distraction to where i would i would feel so uh confused and upset because here i'm supposed to do something meaningful like share a sermon or something but i'm uh i'm getting into this conflict or this fight with my wife and it would be such this this big distraction well we soon realized that it really seemed like it was something spiritual it was like almost like uh something that we could do uh like uh we could do something that we normally do but on this day it would be highlighted it would be more intense and we'd have these 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 thoughts that just seemed like they came out of nowhere where we would be divisive against one another it's like uh out of all the times you could leave the dishes here this day it's like oh they left these dishes here because they think i'm gonna do it <laughs> it's like you, you just start thinking differently and see it's in kind of moments like that to where the devil can incite division by whispering these kinds of uh egotistical ideas these kinds of ideas like see they're they're against you trying to incite that kind of division and so when if we were to recognize that we're in a fight if we were to recognize that 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 the devil truly wants to divide it and conquer whenever division is incited against your family within your family or within this church within whatever group of people that you're close with whenever you feel that division that dissension entering in take a step back and think for a moment is this really because of this person or that person or because of me or is it because there's a divisive spirit here is, is it really because there's some uh, unseen dissension that has no real root cause but is just appearing y'all dig what i'm saying and then you can go to i don't battle against flesh and blood but against spirits and principalities the bible says that we fight against uh, truly demons and, and evil not against each other and that when we face those divisive moments that we should pray instead of fight. Meaning we should fight against the spirit rather than fight against the flesh. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so if we could recognize those kind of fights, and, they, and I'm not going to go into, the again, like getting in the weeds of every kind of spiritual fight that could happen, but recognizing this spiritual power at bay. I want us to understand the, the best ways to fight it. And truly understanding the power of the blood of Jesus is, is one of the most simplest things that we can do. Because for me personally, like I said, I don't like to give the devil more credit than he gets already. Uh, I don't like to just claim that everything is a spiritual attack. Um, I, I like to lean towards assuming that certain negative circumstances just happen naturally. But rather, rather than blaming it on a spiritual attack. But with that being said, to better protect ourselves spiritually, I really believe that surrendering yourself under the blood of Jesus for atonement and by praying articulately with authority is the best thing that you can do. When I say surrendered under the blood of Jesus, uh, what I'm talking about is the moment that Jesus' blood was shed on the cross, it, it it opened a, it tore the veil that separates us from uh, the, the veil that separates us from God. And when I'm, uh, when we have this authentic surrender of our souls and when we, when we trust in Jesus, when we audibly declare our, our, uh, our faith in Christ, 
it does something powerfully spiritually. The blood of Jesus is incredibly symbolic. I, I, I want us to understand that the blood of Jesus is, didn't just, uh, the idea of the blood of Jesus didn't just appear one day when Jesus died on the cross, but it started all the way back in Genesis when, when God provided a sacrifice for, for Abraham's son, Isaac. And it, it goes all the way to uh, when the people were in bondage to Egypt, when the Jewish people were enslaved by the Egyptians. There's this story about how as they were trying to be liberated, as they were trying to find this freedom, again, this is God's people enslaved trying to find freedom. There, it, uh, God took Egypt through the nine plagues, right? Well, the, the very last plague was was that of judgment passing for the firstborn sons of Egypt to die. And I want us to, to take a step back. Does, doesn't that seem kind of cruel? <laughs> I remember the first time I read that the, this ninth plague happening, I was like, dang, <laughs> that's, that seems like kind of like an overreach, right? But when you take a step back and realize that Pharaoh sowed that seed of death within his country, when years before he cast every single baby born of the Jews into the Nile River. He, he killed every baby among the Jewish people. And so it was a seed of death that he sowed that he reaped later within this country. It was, it was all of his own doing. And I think it's symbolic because the way that the Jews were able to uh, and it be, um, have this judgment of this death pass over them was by having a sacrificial lamb take the place of the firstborn son within their homes. And they would, take, they would have the sacrificed lamb and they would use the blood of the lamb and paint the doorways of their, their home with, by rubbing the blood of the lamb on it. And see, there's this very symbolic moment where that, the angel of death, when it came by through the land and it saw the blood on the, the doorpost, that it knew that it could not touch that home because of the blood. And when we see the symbolism of Jesus being constantly referenced, not only as the firstborn son, so he was the firstborn son of God, and also being referenced as the Lamb of God, he is taking that atonement for us. He is paying for that protection for us. And on the cross, his blood is painted on the cross, but when you look at what the cross is, symbolically, it is an inverted doorpost. A doorpost is exclusive, right? While only, only those who are in this home, you enter here, while the, the cross is inclusive, meaning that it is the exact opposite of a doorpost. It means everywhere out. And so this moment that we put ourselves under this doorpost of the cross we are putting ourselves under the blood of Jesus. We're putting ourselves under his protection. Thus, we have the freedom from this world. We have the freedom from the devil's hold of this world. Y'all feel what I'm saying? I feel like we have to understand how powerful the blood of Jesus is to be able to, to, be able to, to recognize our ability within this fight. This morning when, uh, when uh, we were getting ready, uh, I, I got ready first and then uh, my wife was getting ready next. And so I was like, okay, how am I going to entertain my three kids? And so this sounds really cool. I just made this up on the fly, okay? Uh, but I got my kids and I was like, oh my gosh, you guys hear that? 
And they're like, what? And I was like, it's time for us to go on an adventure. And this is all just, this was all just coming to me. Right. And, and they're like, okay, what is it? I was like, there's an invisible dragon in your room, but we can't see it. And, and then I started like, oh, like, let me see if I can make the message <laughs> like a kid's version. And I was like, it's an invisible dragon. We have to go find it. And they're like, okay, let's go find it. I was like, wait, before we go look for this invisible dragon, the devil, first, yeah, I'm preparing them. <laughs> first, we have to make sure that we're protected because the, uh, because the dragon can't attack anyone that is protected by the blood of Jesus. And they're like, oh, okay. And it's like, so we have, to, we have to say, Jesus, protect us. And they're like, Jesus, protect us. Yes. And so we're all being protected by the blood of Jesus, right? And then I, I said, now we got to go, we, if we're going to go and fight this devil, then we need swords. And then Jules immediately is like, I have a sword right here. It's invisible. I was like, good, we need that. And then Joy is like, I have two swords. I was like, okay, good, we need those. And then Joy, Jules says, I have five swords. It's like, okay, let's go. And Joy's like, wait, I have 10 swords. I was like, okay, I think we have enough. And I said, you know what the swords are, right? And they're like, what? I said, it's the Bible. I'm like so good at this, right? This is all just off the dome, by the way, this morning. And they're like, okay. And I was like, and before we go in there, we need, uh, we, all the lights are off in the rooms. And because the dragon is invisible, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And they're like, oh. I said, so put on your spiritual eyes like this. And so they, of course, put on their spiritual eyes and like, like that. And we go in the room and we vanquished like 11 dragons this morning. Every time we vanquish another dragon, one of my daughters is like, oh, I heard another dragon. <laughs> but the, the point of what I'm saying, the story is this concept of how this invisible uh, arena of the spiritual world, just, we cannot see it, but the blood of Jesus is something so powerful that when we subject ourselves, when we surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are putting ourselves under that marking of protection. And so no matter what we go through in this world, we, we can be protected. Uh, we, we are able to be protected because of what Jesus did on the cross. And now understanding that, I want us to understand how to pray articulately with authority. Because if we combine the blood of Jesus in an articulate, authoritative prayer, you can fight back against any kind of spiritual attack. You know, uh, the, uh, it was two days ago where I took out the trash, and as soon as I uh, lifted up the lid to the trash can and was throwing the bag in there, I heard this really loud buzzing. It was like a millisecond, and this loud buzzing, and all of a sudden I got stung on my neck by a bee, by a wasp. Okay, it wasn't just a bumblebee. It was a yellow-jacketed wasp. Wasp or hornet? It was a hornet, I think. But, and, and I felt this excruciating pain, right? And I was very, very upset at this. And I was like, oh my God. And I immediately swatted. And I, I made a, I didn't say an obscenity, but I was like, oh, because I don't cuss. I was, I was like, you know, whatever kind of groan I could get out. And I go in and Lauren's like, oh my gosh. And I was like, I know it's bad. It's real bad. And, and uh, I'm being dramatic. But what, what was, what did I do immediately after I was attacked? I went and got some hornet spray and I took all those suckers out. 
See, that's what it's like when we're spiritually attacked. Is when You may get attacked by the devil, but you have the power to go and fight back with your prayer life, with the blood of Jesus. And I, I, I saw, once I was attacked, I was like, oh, this is, this is clearly bees. But when you're spiritually attacked, you need to step back and say, this is clearly spiritual. This, this is the devil. And you go and just pray articulately. And I, I'm not saying that you just start just saying whatever comes to your mind. Just really know that you don't have to repeat yourself over and over and over. You don't have to babble on and on to make it seem like you're, uh, you're doing something if you talk more. But you can pray really simple. Articulate means to simply like a cohesive statement. And you can just uh, imagine just praying. If you feel like there's like a, uh, something oppressive in your life, imagine just praying like, I cancel any spiritual hold that is trying to take hold of my life and I cancel it in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that you'd cover me your, in your blood right now. See, that's a powerful prayer. I didn't even have to scream, hoop or holler or nothing. It's just really simple. There's so, often, so many times where people have asked us to pray for their home and we've gone and we just, it's like not, it's not this big fancy prayer to where I'm, I'm shouting in tongues and I'm going on and on, but I'm just praying really cohesively, articulately of what I'm actually focusing on as I'm praying for the house. It, it makes me think about the very first time I ever cast out a demon. Uh, it, it was a really intense situation and, and I, I feel like a, uh, I like sharing the first time that I ever cast out a demon because it was very unexpected. I, I, I share this story often, but this is how it went, all right? I was in this ministry school, and while I was, while I was at the school, they, they had this youth retreat to where these middle schoolers and high schoolers would go three-day weekend, and it was just like this retreat where they would have all these messages, they'd have fun and stuff. But it was really just to like trick these kids to go into church for three days and like completely bombard them with the gospel message, right? And this was, uh, this church operated a lot like a Pentecostal church. So there was like a demon for everything. And, and there's a point where they had like a deliverance session to where they had this worship time and, they, and then they would just put like this list of stuff on the screen and say, if you have any of these struggles in your life, come up to the front and someone will pray for you to be delivered of it. And I'll be honest, sometimes those kids didn't even know what they were going up for. I had someone tell me, uh, another like coworker tell me that there's this girl that came up for, for prayer because she had a spirit of, uh, of division. But it's not that she was being divisive, but she had she she struggled with doing division, long division, and so. And after they told me that, they were kind of like laughing. I was like, "Were they delivered? <laughs> did did they perform it well afterward?" So there's this point where there's this point where it was like come up for spirit of addiction, right? And I, I had struggled with uh, addiction in my life, so I was like, "Oh hell yeah! Like I'm ready to to beat." the devil over the head right now for anyone that comes up. And this little boy came up. He's probably in like sixth grade and he was just crying, just crying his eyes out. I was like, man, he's got it bad. <laughs> he's, he's a, I don't even want to know the stuff he's in. And he's just crying. And I'm like 18 at the time. I'm like, what is it, son? <laughs> Tell me. And he's like, <coughs> and like out with it. Come on. <laughs> what, what, what is it that you're addicted to? <coughs> Video games. I got that boy. What are you, what are you crying about? I, I just didn't even take it serious anymore. I was like, oh man, it's like, it's just one of those like divisions. It doesn't even know what he's coming up for. And so I didn't even take it serious. And so I just prayed the simplest prayer. I said, God, I pray that you 
just deliver him in the name of Jesus. And I, I plead for the blood of Jesus. Got to escape either. <laughs> Can't lock her up. Um, and I just pray the simplest prayer. I say, God, I, I just pray the blood of Jesus over him and that you deliver him. Amen. Nothing fancy. I, I didn't even like hoop and holler. I didn't even yell. I was just like really calm. Like, it's okay. Like, got one of those prayers. This boy started shaking uncontrollably. I was like, whoa, what are you doing? He fell all the way on the ground as he's like convulsing. I was like, man, calm down. I was like, hey, we need some help. And, I, and, we, and we just prayed over this boy. And, and uh, this other guy came that had, I guess, more experience. I don't know if he did or not. But we just prayed for the blood of Jesus over him, for him to be covered in the blood. And eventually he just stopped shaking. He, he, he was able to calm down. And he got up and he like just even looked like this new person. He just had this like new countenance. And man, I was like just so surprised at how, uh, of how this, this manifestation happened with something so seemingly small. And, and it leads me to our next point, which is the idea of separated kingdoms. Because I want us to understand that evil is insatiable and will never be content without total control. And see, even in those small, strong, seemingly small strongholds, see, the devil will, will try to hide in places of our lives only to slowly take more and more and more. And if we were to understand that there is truly a battle between light and darkness, we, we can better understand that there is no like small demon. There is no small devil, but that truly their, their goal, it, no matter what, is to steal, kill, and destroy. I want us to look at a couple verses. In, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 through 30, as Jesus says, And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he has become divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if by Beelzebul I cast out the demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out the demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter a strong man's house like, uh, and carry off his property unless he first ties up the strong man and then he will plunder the house? The one who's not with me is against me. The one who does not gather with me scatters. So, I want us to understand what Jesus is saying very clearly here. Oh, did I do that again, guys? Did, oh, no, that's the next one. I want us to understand really clearly what Jesus is saying. He's saying in this verse, anyone that who is not with me is against me. It's a very divisive thing to say, right? It's very dividing. It separates. And it's because it's showing the separation of kingdoms. I want us to look at another verse to, be, to better expound because in Mark chapter 9, verse 38, verse 41 through 41 says, John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not hinder him for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall be no, by no means lose his reward. So Jesus in one verse is saying, whoever is not for us is against us. And then in this verse, he says, whoever is not against us is for us. 
You see how these, these two verses, it's not saying two different things, but Jesus is repeating himself in a slightly different, different way to give deeper understanding. Because there, I feel like there's three different groups. There's, there's antichrist group, anything that is anti-Christian, anything that would try to stifle the message of Christ, anything that would try to, to hinder or quiet the gospel message of Jesus. And then there's the Christ message, which is, Everything Christ, everything gospel. But this third group that Jesus is referencing is not one that is anti-Christ, but yet is, is truly just more so someone that doesn't fully understand the Christ message yet. It's not that they're not against it, but they do not yet have revelation of it. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And, and I feel like this is necessary to understand as we're talking about separated kingdoms and this fight against evil and good, because so often Christians will get in this separated mindset to where anyone that is not a Christian, we condemn. That's not necessarily what the Bible is saying, is it? It is saying anyone that is anti-Christ, it is something that is against us. But there are those who are not yet Christ, but are not against Christ either. And those are the ones that are, are to be one. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And there's, there's, so many, there's so many secular people, there's so many um, non-Christian organizations that even fund Christian organizations. And so are, are those organizations to fight against the, their very own sponsors? No, of course not. But it, it's this idea of, of really just understanding that things are black and white, but there's also these gray areas too. You feel what I'm saying? So if we understand that, if... Let's, let's focus in our, our mission of what is truly anti-Christ. Not those who are, that can be for us, not those who are, are, are in a sense neutral yet supportive, but those who are truly anti-Christ. Because evil, like I said before, is insatiable and will never be content without total control. I, there's, I really believe that the sense of darkness has no, has no satisfaction. It, it's kind of like an Oreo. You've ever told yourself that you're going to just have one Oreo? I just need one just to get the taste. And what happens? It's insatiable, isn't it? You need another one. And you tell yourself, I just want one more. Before you know it, you had a whole row of those mugs. See, that's insatiable. <laughs> you can't stop yourself. That is what evil is like. When we, when we allow ourselves to to understand that there is light and darkness. Even when God says, let there be light at the beginning, there's a clear separation of light and darkness. There's no unity to light and darkness. There's no unity to light and darkness. It, it is impossible for it to commingle. And if you think about what darkness is, it is the absence of light. And so it shows how the light is much more powerful than the darkness. Because in order to defeat the, light, the darkness, all you have to do is turn on the light and darkness will flee. So it is in the spirit. And if we were to understand that throughout history, there's, there's all these moments where these points of history where there's like this goodness that appears within the world, within the land. And then it is, it is transitioned back to darkness within a generation or two later. I believe that the Bible shows us that the world is bent on evil. Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, 
this world turned into a broken world where sin and evil is in our DNA. That no matter what, our humanity will gear themselves towards darkness. And we see that from the garden, this, this place of Adam and Eve to where the, the worst thing that they did was eat from the, the tree of knowledge and good and evil, right? This is the worst thing that they did to where in the times of Noah, murder, rape, and all, all these kind of uh, horrible things that are horrifying to us today were something that was common then. To the point where God said, I'm, I'm going to uh, have a reset w- with the great flood. It's not that they were just, everyone was just eating from the trees that they shouldn't have been eating, but it increasingly got more exponentially wicked. And we see that from every course of history, no matter how much reset of good we have, we inevitably turn evil. Look at this, even just in the Bible times where the, the book of Acts, where the, ch- the early church turned into this like this these group of martyrs willing to, to do good and die for Christ. I mean, they literally changed the world to where just a couple of generations later that, that, that they were, uh, the world that was being changed turned into the conquistadors going from land to land in the name of Christ, killing for the name of Christ. You see how quickly that goodness was, was tainted by evil? And it's because when... When it comes to darkness, if you give an inch, you will lose a mile. If you give an inch, you will lose a mile. If you understand that, that, that there's, there's no ability to tolerate evil, you will understand this concept of how truly separate good and evil are. And I, I'm not talking about uh, I'm not talking. I'm, I'm talking about obvious sin and darkness. I'm talking about obvious evil. I'm not talking about the idea of like whether or not you're addicted to coffee. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it's, I feel like in our world today, we we create so so many false ideas of evil, to where Lauren was sharing this this concept with me the other day that she read this this Christian post about how so many people are have replaced Jesus with the idol of coffee. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I had no idea. I was, <laughs> I've left Jesus. I, I thought I was worshiping Jesus while drinking coffee. <laughs> but it, it was this con- the concept was if you can't have hope and peace while, uh, uh, without, enjoying, without having a cup of coffee, and you can't rely on Jesus for that, then you've made coffee your idol. I was like, well, shoot. <laughs> that's, like a, that's a big reach. And see... To me, that is not biblical. Paul tells Timothy, drink some wine for your stomach to feel better. That I would feel like he, could, he would also be saying, drink some coffee if you're tired. <laughs> see, we see that, that it, it doesn't, I felt like I could find more biblical grounds, holy grounds that is, coffee grounds, holy grounds, biblical grounds of how that's not really a spiritual thing. It, the, the part I'm saying is, instead of getting fixated on, on ideas of what are evil, focus truly on what is clearly evil. Don't start assuming or condemning other Christians because they do something differently than you. But rather, go back to the verse where Jesus says, anyone that is not against us is for us. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And understand that when we're talking about real darkness, real evil, that in those moments, if you give an inch, you will lose a mile. And if, 
you, you have to understand that any part that you allow in your life, or even in this world for that matter, it will continue to demand more and more as it seeks to completely overtake. You, you got to know that without a doubt, evil is the devil and it has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Do not be, de be deceived in making allowances for evil in your life. I, I, I want to give one last reference on this thought because I'm talking about evil. We could look at it in a personal sense with like sin and wickedness within our life. Y'all remember the story of uh, that guy named Castro who, um, I think it was in Chicago, where he kidnapped three girls when they were uh, just under being teenagers and held them in his basement for 11 years as his personal sex slaves. Did y'all hear about that story back in, was it 2013, 2012? You haven't heard of that? You need to read a book, man. Um, so this happened in our world, in America, in Chicago, of, of three people that were being held hostage in someone's basement and being raped every day. And it took 11 years for them to, to, to find freedom. And it, this heinous act, horrible, right? It, it's horrific that just a normal citizen who was a, a school bus driver and took advantage of these girls that trusted him because of his, his job relationship with them and he kidnapped them and did that to them. And when he was on trial and he was given his last moment for a statement, he blamed his entire, his entire horrible, her horrifying history on his simple addiction to pornography. He, he said that it started with him simply watching porn and that soon it was just not enough. That he, had, he ended up having to watch it every day. And that that was not enough. And he kept needing more and more. And, and that the, what he would search for was more and more violent. And see, it was this like insatiable lust with inside of him that kept growing. And he says that it led him all the way to this point to where it, he talks about how he started going to hookers, started going to this, started going to that. But it just never ended up being enough until he eventually kidnapped these girls. And he just did it one time. I'm just, just this one person. And then he it kidnapped another one. And then that wasn't enough, and he kidnapped another one. And see, it, it is astounding to me that this man looked at the origin of his horrifying acts to something that over 70% of people admit to doing today. It, isn't that a, just a, a glimpse of how evil is insatiable? Always wanting more, always wanting more. And it's just never satisfied. It is truly like a mold that continues to grow in darkness. But the best way to stop that kind of mold, that, that evil, is by shedding the light on it. And that's, I want us to understand, as we are talking about shedding the light on evil, you, you must know that you, you must know that you need to stand your ground. And I want us to talk about one last thing as we close. It, one last thing before we close. Man, I had a lot of scriptures I was going to go into. But <laughs> I want us to talk about one last thing before we close today, and that is standing your ground. And it's really your part in engaging for this good fight. Engaging for the fight for good. And I want us to look at this verse real quick. 
Man, I'm all out of whack with my scriptures. Sorry, guys. <laughs> In Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, it's, it says, Now the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So in, within this, these verses, don't even be looking at that. <laughs> that was the wrong verse. Um, within this, this, I want us to understand what Jesus is saying in standing your ground. It's this moment where he sent the disciples out two by two, and it, they come back saying, even the demons are subject to your name. And so out of all the miracles that they saw, they, they performed healings, they, they, they did simply natural good deeds, and they came back astounded, not at, uh, at, the, at how many people were uh, affected by the gospel message of Christ, how, many, how much good was done, but they were completely astounded about this unseen world being subject to their command in the seen world. And they say that... Uh, even the demons are, listen to us because of your name. And then Jesus says, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. See, this is a moment where we see exactly what, uh, exactly what, how, how, what the power against the devil is like. It is, Jesus gives this display about how his rebellion in heaven was shot down as fast as as lightning hits the earth. And when I think about how Jesus describes this, it shows how fast and how violently the devil was thrown out of heaven and how he roams the earth. And what the devil consistently tries to do is portray himself as mightier than he is. See, in heaven, that was his, it was his pride where he convinced the, a third of the angels to, fo to follow him instead of God himself, the creator of the universe. And it's this ego that he, that he has, this ego. And we see all the way back in Genesis, how did he convince Eve? It was through pride, through that ego. It, you will be like God. And... Even today, it's the same tactic of, of trying to portray himself more powerful than he is. It, it says in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, Stay alert, watch out for, for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your, fam your, that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kinds of suffering you are. So what this verse is saying is that you are not alone in, your, in the attacks that you go through. It, I think that's really meaningful to, to grasp because the first thing the devil tries to do is convince us of our own pride. And that is that we have this special exemption, this special excuse that, that we're different from everybody else. I believe that every person is incredibly unique. But see, what the devil tries to do is convince us that our situation is unique, thus... We, uh, we don't have to go do the same things that other people do to grow in their faith, to protect themselves in the faith. I, I think about simple things like, like prayer. It's a really simple thing 
But somehow the devil convinces people that, no, but for you, it's not that you need to pray, but it's that you need to understand this. It's like this weird manipulation that the devil has to convince us to excuse ourselves from things that are meaningful. Even like church. I think that church is just like a baseline thing to do in Christianity. I don't think that church is what saves us, of course, but the sense of just the action of going to church is a powerful, uh, a powerful foundation to lay in your life. Uh, so many people say that as soon as they start going to church is where they like really found their relationship with God. It's because it's, this, it's just an action. It's this action step. It's a milestone to put in your faith. But what does the devil often do is tries to convince us of why we don't need to go to church. And it's not about whether or not we need to, but it's something that benefits our faith. And yet the devil will manipulate us out through our pride. And the thing to understand about the devil is that as he tries to give this, as he tries to increase his own glory, at the end of the day, the devil is a roaring lion with no teeth. The devil is a roaring lion with no teeth. Did you know how lions uh, actually capture their prey? The, the, the way that a lion actually uh, attacks the prey is by first roaring. Everyone give me your best roar. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but their roar is so loud and terrifying that it will paralyze the prey. That they literally, it, is so, it is so terrifying that they literally get weak knees. So even as they run, they feel weak because they're so, they're so afraid. And in the same way, that is how the devil tries to operate. It tries, he tries to be so loud. It tries to draw so much attention. It tries to portray himself as so powerful. But at, at the end of the day, he's got no teeth. He's got nothing that can actually harm you. It's only if we lay ourselves in his mouth that he can swallow us. But truly, we, we, when we are protected by Jesus, he has no teeth that can, that can actually hurt us. And that is why he consistently tries to use fear in order to intimidate us. Fear is the opposite of faith. Faith is believing the things that you cannot see. What is fear? Believing the things that you cannot see. And the devil will consistently try to use fear to portray a fake, false sense of power and glory. To portray that he's powerful when he's not. And if you understand this, then you can understand when Jesus says in the previous verse, he says that he watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning, that he got violently thrown to the earth, out of heaven. And Jesus says, I've given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions. That's an analogy of demons, snakes and scorpions. And he says that you can walk on snakes and scorpions and all authority uh, all over the enemy, and nothing will injure you. He's saying you, you can literally stomp on the devil's head, and he cannot harm you. That is his portrayal in this verse. And while, uh, while we're, we don't have to necessarily be afraid of evil in this world, rather we should be diligent in knowing that we have full power and authority to stomp out the devil when he tries to attack. It's like that story I was sharing about those bees, about those hornets, right? That sounds more intense. The minute I got stung, it, I, I've seen that nest there for months. Lauren has been telling me, oh, when are you going to spray that nest? I'm like, oh, I'll get to it. I just never took it that seriously. But the, the day that I got stung, I was like, oh, no. And I went and took them all out. That is truly, I feel like, what it is like in the spiritual world is that you don't have to go around being afraid of the devil. 
You don't have to walk in fear. But whenever he does try to rise up and sting you, you have the full authority to take it down. You have the, the covering of the blood of Jesus to, to thrash down violently any demon that try to come against you. I believe that when we understand this, it gives us, when we live like this, rather than trying to live in this mindset of always thinking about the devil. See, that's, that's the, the wrong way to go. We don't need to constantly be thinking about the devil and, and spiritual battles. I really believe that, as Jesus says, it, it rejoice more that your names are recorded in the book of life. What it's saying is genuine spirituality is focused on eternity. Genuine spirituality is focused on eternity, definitely not the devil and the works of the devil. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And if we can understand this, we'll be able to better operate while here on earth because we don't have to spiritualize everything or attempt to become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Genuine spirituality refocuses on the destination of our eternity, which is Jesus and the fact that he redeems us. I'll share one last story before we close. Um, I, I gave my life to Christ in a, a really, uh, really unique way. See, for me, before I gave my life to Christ, I, I've, I had a lot of demonic oppression. And there's a point where for a couple years, I started seeing like these demonic faces in, in the dark. And I was getting terrified. And it got to a point where uh, when, uh, when I was older, uh, I was 17 years old, and there's moments where I start getting woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You don't know what that is, right? It's that witching hour. And I'll wake up with this immense sense of fear. Just a tangible fear. I'm not talking about like, oh, like I'm freaked out. I'm talking about like a, a, a paralyzing fear. And I remember it's just so many moments where I, I would be so afraid of the dark. And I, it got to a point where it would just kept getting worse and worse. It kept getting more and more. And there's moments where I'd wake up and I'd close my eyes because I was too afraid to look. And then I would start hearing screaming in my ear. I'm, I'm being serious, guys. And I, this is, these are moments in which I was sober, okay? <laughs> Just to, to clear things up, like, oh, that's what that was. I was, it was middle of night sober and I was like, oh my gosh. And I was hear audible screaming in my ear. And it got to a point where all day I, was, I, was, I would be terrified at how I was going to make it another night because I was so scared of the dark, the darkness that was just lurking all around me. And it wasn't until I had a, a, a sister that was superstitious and said, if you leave the Bible open to Psalm 23, it will keep demons away. I was like, well, I'll try anything. And I found this, this, this Bible that I've never seen before. It just happened to be in my stuff. I don't know how it got there. And the bookmark happened to be on Psalm 23. It's like perfect because I didn't even know there's different books in the Bible. And it's the first time I ever read scripture. And I opened that scripture and I read those verses that said, Though I walk through the valley of shadow and death, I'll fear no evil. And it's, it hit me like, like a ton of bricks. This is exactly what I needed to hear. And I started reading all throughout these Psalms. And that night I left the Bible open on my bed and it was the first night that I slept peacefully. It was the first night that I, I, I wasn't waking up over and over terrified, that I wasn't seeing these, these, these weird things, hearing these weird things. And from that moment, the moment that I read that scripture, it was just a mustard seed of faith. 
as a mustard seed of faith to where I had this, this small little bit of trust that God would protect me. I didn't fully understand it. I didn't fully grasp even why Jesus died on the cross. I didn't even know that yet. But I had this mustard seed size of faith. And because of that, I was covered in, in, in Jesus' blood. I was covered in His protection. And similarly, in our lives, when we have even the smallest amount of faith and we put that in Jesus, when we put that trust in God, His protection goes forth. He, he takes that commitment, that covenant seriously. And the moment that I, I remember the moment where I read in Leviticus, after a while, I started wanting to read more and more about this book that protected me. And the more and more I read, I was reading in Leviticus about how they'd make all these sacrifices for the people's sins. And I was like, man, I'm going to get a, I'm, I really need a lot of pigeons <laughs> to get my sins forgiven. I got a lot. And I was thinking about how am I going to find a bird? How am I going to get a, an animal to kill it and atone for my sins? And all of a sudden I realized, I was, I was willing, guys. I was, <laughs> I was ready for a life change. It's like, I'll kill any animal that I need to. <laughs> I realized I didn't have to do anything because Jesus already did it all on the cross. I realized that that was why Jesus died on the cross in the first place, was to make that atonement, to make a, an opportunity of deliverance from all darkness, from, from this world, through that that trust and that faith in Him on the cross, paying for my sins. So with that being said, I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here today, and at some point in this message, you're resonating in, in that, that the simple fact of the blood of Jesus, everything that I've been expounding on when it comes to the blood of Jesus. And maybe you're here and you've never realized, you've never made that connection of how powerful that blood is, how it is what makes atonement for us, of how spiritual, of how profound it is. And you've never made a decision to have your own moment of surrender of, in, uh, of Jesus in that way. And you want to do that today. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. See your hand. So if that was you, I want you to just have a simple conversation with Jesus. Have a conversation with him because the Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you have a genuine heart and talk to him yourself, that's all it takes to start this relationship with him, to, to enter this covering of him, to start this journey with him. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer, but you can start talking to him yourself. Now, while, while they're doing that, if you're here and you feel like this message was just illuminating to you and you, have, you feel like this is what, uh, even when I was talking about uh, the, the concept of spirits, uh, this, the evil trying to cause even division and you're looking back on moments within your workplace, moments in your family, moments in meaningful relationships where you now can recognize that you feel like it was truly the devil trying to incite division into something that was meaningful. Maybe it was something like that. Maybe it was something else within this message that you feel like the Holy Spirit needed to show you today. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. So God, right now I pray that you solidify 
what you have spoken in these people, and I pray that you finish what you started in their lives. I pray that you help us to all gain a deeper revelation of this spiritual world, this unseen world, and that you help us to truly just trust in your name and the blood of Jesus. We just thank you in your name. Amen. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you did, there's several different ways to connect. First is by subscribing to our show, leaving a review or a comment. Second is by going to gravetopchurch.com and clicking the Get Connected tab so that we can connect with you as an individual. And third is if this ministry has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to reach others, then you can give online by clicking the Give tab. Until next time, thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church.